Story, Part 1 It was my second day bartending at a slimy strip joint called the First King in Hawthorne. The dancers were ugly, and a lot of water came with the liquor. A typical shift for me was like the movie Players Club. Grimy, dirty, and crawling with clowns that were there to look without paying. The one thing that was mesmerizing was the way the dancers would methodically move their bodies, all to the same rhythm. They had a sultry presence about them as they dominated the stage that would make me stop pouring and stare. When I took the job, I was told the house rules required I dance at least one time per shift. Until now, I had been able to avoid stepping up there making a fool of myself. I can't dance, and this wasn't the platform to learn. Cash, you gotta go up sometimes, Jewel said. Cash was my strip club name. Jewel was a retired stripper from South L.A., after five kids and a series of abusive baby fathers, she hung up her G-string and took a job as a club madam. She was responsible for training the bartenders and supervising the strippers. They couldn't get blowjobs on her watch, but most of the time, she wasn't watching. The thought of going on stage was horrifying. It was a well-kept secret that I had retired from my career as a stripper when I was 19. Back then, my audience was old white men who drove trucks and needed to stop just for a rest off the 215 freeway, an old dusty highway in the Inland Empire where Klansmen still ran the streets. It didn't matter if you were a Confederate flag-toting, snuff-spitting redneck. When it came to what was between a woman's leg, the only color was pink. I found out just that while climbing that pole. I retired after my third day on the job. A drunk cop pulled me into the bathroom stall, thirstily asking me to pay to perform oral sex on me. I'll eat your pussy for a hundred dollars, he said. Men who beg are pathetic. But because my ex had recently struck me with a closed fist and left me with eight stitches in my lip, I was frozen in fear. After less than a minute, security burst into the bathroom, snatched me out of the stall, and because I was a stripper, they handed me over to the head madam and accused me of prostitution. The story caught fire around diamonds. It poured off the lips of women with drippy vaginas and coke habits that I was sitting on the toilet in the bathroom stall while, with an off-duty cop, who no one knew was a cop, standing in front of me. They even said that when security went to pull him out of the bathroom, his dick was still in my mouth. These low-class bitches stood around the dressing room dishing on my failed attempt at a blow drop. But the truth was, I was a victim of an attempted rape. I overheard one of them talking shit, so I stepped to her. We got into a cat fight just like in the movies. She won. After that, I walked out of that shit-kicking whorehouse and never looked back. Sex business was a dangerous one. I'd done a lot of things, but hooking wasn't one of them. I was smart, more or less. So I enrolled in school, and now I'm one semester from my degree in PR. To make ends meet, I took a job bartending at this shithole until... That day I met Dennis. Hi, this is Dennis. Do you remember me from... Of course I do. Hi, Dennis. Can you hold for a second? I'm at work. Let me step outside. I grabbed my bag and moved to the smoking area in the back where the strippers made bargains with the tricks. No one's out here. Thank God. Hey, thanks for holding. How are you? I'm good. Listen, I don't want to keep you from work. Should I try you another time? No, no, no. I'm fine. I was just about to take a break. I was lying like shit. Save me, I thought. All of my life I had been looking for a savior. I didn't know when one would come. But that night at the athletic club, there was something about Dennis that said he just might be my Jesus. 
I know you mentioned you worked in the music video industry, he said, and I have a project I'm putting together that I would like to um, hire you for. Talk to me. I want to bring you in as a producer on a music video we're shooting for an artist Stan and I have been managing. Well, who is it? A new guy, Transport. He's from D.C. What will my job be? You'd be responsible for casting the girls and putting together the behind the scenes. Haven't you ever produced before? Uh, yeah, of course I have. I lied. Okay, well the only thing is the job starts today and I know you're at work. Can I come after? I get off at five. He gave a deep exhale like that just wouldn't be possible. It's two o'clock right now. At five, there's that crazy rush hour LA traffic. Oh, I forgot to mention, the job pays 3000 I'll have your first half today if you can make it to me by five. I'm in Universal City. I hung up the phone without saying bye. I walked back into the bar. Jules old ass was wiping up a spill from one of the regulars. Where the fuck were you? I'm not no damn bartender. <laughs> Neither am I. I quit. I walked out of that raggedy piece of shit and never looked back. Things at the video shoot went better than good. I was able to bring all of my girlfriends to the set and they all got paid 250 bucks for the day. All they did was get drunk off good champagne, eat takeout from the finest restaurants, and shake their asses to some fair to midland music, courtesy of Transport, an artist who would never make it. On the set, things were so hectic, but I was a hero to my friends who were so hyped about getting paid for nothing. I kept them entertained, throwing them drinks they couldn't stop guzzling and choking down. All this free shit was new to them. When no one was paying attention, I would steal away with Dennis. We'd go into an unoccupied dressing room where I'd pin him up against the wall like a bitch. Slowly peeling his zipper down, I'd yank his slacks around his ankles and jam his big dick in my mouth. I'd never blown a guy until he busts, but there was more where that $1,500 check came from and I was gonna suck it out of him if it was the last thing I did. Kennedy's Story, Chapter Two. That video shoot brought Dennis and I to where we are today, the St. Regis Suite, and I was still draining him dry every chance I got. This morning, I could barely walk. Dennis was still in bed as I roamed around the suite. Of all the trips I'd been on so far, I never had the opportunity to live on this level. We were at the tip top overlooking the city. The bell on the streetcar rang while pushing its way up the steep San Francisco streets. The mostly European tourists hustled about the enchanting corridors of the Bay Area's most attractive location. I stood there in my oversized robe, gazing out of the window, taking it all in. Shit, yeah, I'd made it. By now, Dennis was well aware of my coke habit. He used to treat his nose back in the 80s, so when I asked him for $500 to score a bag of white girl for our last night here, he had no problem with it. I called a friend who lives in Oakland. She was a dope dealer. They called her Tiny. Cute and petite, but deadly as a rattlesnake. She kept a Glock on her hips and had a piss-poor attitude. I didn't care what the world said about her, though. Tiny was still one of my favorite people. I crept over to the dresser where the Coke was evenly lined up. There was a rolled up hundred dollar bill caked with blow. I shook it out and rolled it up again. This was some good shit. It was iridescent, what the real hustlers referred to as fish scale, and it didn't smell like ethanol. The kind of cocaine that made the back of your throat numb. Thank you, Tiny. 
The sound of me revving up without sharing woke Dennis up. Well, good morning, gorgeous. You partying without me? Never. I took the, I took the mirror and the rolled hundred over to his side of the bed. He got up on one arm to lean forward, allowing me to prop the straw and drag it along the mirror as he got his fix. Now, before I move on, I have to tell you, this man was fine as hell. He was as manly as they come. His chest hair grew from his neck to his belly button. Flip him over and there was an even patch of hair just above his ass. His arms and legs had a natural muscular build to them that came from a consistent workout. But what was most alluring about him was his member. I don't want to call it a dick, but when it's that big, cock just doesn't apply. It was pretty, thick, and just long enough to reach the depths of a woman's soul. It had been four weeks and I was still in love. Sprung off everything from the money to the sex. I love this man more than the cocaine we took up our noses for the next 15 minutes. Now, we're on top of each other again. This was some of the best I ever had. The best what? Up until now, he hadn't used a word to describe what I had between my legs. Most men told me it was the best they ever had. The answer that made the most sense was when Ezekiel, an old trick I had in Atlanta, who by God's name I wish I never let inside me, said, when you're so warm that a man feels like your whole body is wrapped up in a heating blanket, when it feels like home. So Dennis didn't have to tell me what it was. I knew what he was feeling. It was the same thing Ezekiel's old ass felt that night in Vegas. He felt at home. Every time we made love, it hurt at first. He stretched my body in ways I hadn't felt before. After we were done, we would always kiss. Full tongue. Sloppy. They say whores don't kiss. So while you're listening to my story, thinking to yourself that this is the tale of a whore, <laughs> you're wrong. I'm on top now. The front of me is rubbing against the front of him, and I'm climaxing about once every three minutes. I cascade onto the thick, curly hair pillowing his chest. It's warm here. He wraps his arm around my back, and although it seems that there's no space between us, he pulls me closer. He doesn't stop thrusting in and out of me, though, but when it's time for him to finish, I know. Not because he tells me or makes a funny noise. I know because he pulls out. I ordered room service. Well, you never asked me what I wanted. Don't worry. I ordered one of everything on the breakfast menu. Whew, this man here. I'm so high right now, my throat burns and my appetite is gone. Come here. Come sit on my lap. He motions for me to come as if he has something to give me, and I always do what he asks because he always does what I ask. So how are you enjoying our trip so far? I nod my head up and down like I'm a mute, or like the answer is a yes or no question. He doesn't notice and continues on with his diatribe that sends my mind into orbit. I'm still too high to talk, so I listen to him rattle off his inspirational speech. As he continues to talk, I lose his voice and begin the internal dialogue that always creeps up on me when I feel like something is about to go wrong because everything is going so right. Let's talk about the reason we came up here. I set this business trip up so that you never have to go back to working at a place like the First King. You're better than that. I didn't believe him. I didn't believe him because he really didn't know me. He didn't know about the time I spent working in that sleazy strip club off the North Highway that connected to Las Vegas and San Diego. The place where I let white men fondle my 19-year-old breasts when security wasn't looking. He didn't know about the time I woke up hurling from a bad reaction to the anesthesia shot through my veins during my second abortion. 
There was no trace of the belt marks or degrading names my father called me when I got anything lower than a B on my report card. The pungent smell of the shelter that I called home at eight years old still lingered, but I guess he hadn't gotten a whiff of that either. For these reasons, I loved Dennis. He thought that I was something when I wasn't, and his intentions were to bring me up to the level where he was. Our trips were purposeful. All of them meant to give me tools to enhance my life. The extras, well, they were just there to keep me comfortable. Between the two of us, there was no judgment. This was why when Dennis told me he was married, I pretended not to hear.